Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, starting in verse 9. To 9. Chapter 9 starts with a very magical word, and that word is, Therefore, And as I had a seminary professor who whenever he would come across that word in Scripture, he would say, what is that therefore, therefore? Because it is a concluding word. Paul has built an argument toward some end. And he says the conclusion or therefore, because of all this stuff that has been said and proven, because of that, this will happen. So Paul, being a lawyer-type mind, having a very precise mind, is able to build cases. And so when we see the word therefore, we got to go previous verses and see what sort of case he's building. And if you go back to this thought, this thought begins in verse 12 in which he says he's in prison, and you may think that's a bad thing, but it's a good thing because more people are being saved because he's in prison. Because he looks at everything in his life, Paul does, through the lens of the gospel. If the gospel is effective, then it doesn't matter what he feels about something or what comfort he has in something. It is a good thing that the gospel is being affected. And he says that he'll be delivered from prison, either by life or by death. And if it's by life, it's great for the church. And if it's by death, it's great for Paul. And so either way, it's win-win. And Paul is saying that everything's going great, even though if you look at his situation, you would go, man, that's a bummer. But he doesn't think so. It's not a bummer. And then he says to the church, therefore, because of what Paul's going through and because of what Christ died, we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm in the faith. When things come against us, false arguments, when things come against us, false statements, emotional problems, things to try to make us anxious, we are to stand firm. And my... My belief in Jesus Christ doesn't waver because Jesus doesn't waver. And if I am going to stand firm in this world, I am going to suffer. But suffering is not bad because God will use suffering for our sanctification to make us Christ-like, to make us holy. And then in... Starting in chapter 2, Paul says he wants to be encouraged, and he wants to be encouraged that we are all of the same mind, that we're all on the same page, that when we all come together on Sunday, we all have the same 
focus, the same champion, the same Jesus Christ in mind. And if there are any disagreements theologically, this is the place to figure them out and get on the right track. Now, this doesn't mean we have to be of the same preferences. We can have, we, we can have any favorite ice cream we want, and you're still saved, even if you pick something like strawberry. Okay? You're still saved. But when it comes to the truth about Jesus Christ, we need to be on the same page and the same focus. And then he says that we can do this, or we can do, we did do this, we are this way because of what Jesus Christ did. It says uh, that when we're all in one mind, we then come to the point of being favoring one another more than ourselves. In other words, if you have a preference, if your preference is strawberry ice cream. And I don't like strawberry ice cream, yet I only have enough time and money to get one ice cream, I will get strawberry. Because I favor you above me, is what Paul is saying. And he says, why do we do this? Because who did this? Well, Jesus did this. Jesus, in eternity, got to remember that Jesus Christ has been in existence for all of eternity. All of eternity, from way back, you can't even, there is no beginning from the back, the back part, before any of us were here, before God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus has been here with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity, and then there's this little intermission that God created the heavens and the earth and people and all the problems that God has with people that all we have up to this point, this is all an intermission that is just a blip on the radar compared to how long eternity is and how long eternity will be. And yet God is putting all the marbles on this creation. God is putting everything into this creation. And you can read the Old Testament starting in Genesis all the way up and how God says, well, do this. And people say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And God says, okay, I'll punish you. Then God says, do this. And they say, I'm not going to do this. Then God forms a people through Abraham, a whole new race of people that was created by God and not something that just randomly happened that God picked. God made the Jewish people from Abraham. There was a plan and there was choices and there were children that were picked and they, a line was made. And with God taking all the nurturing care they still said, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to do whatever I want. And so God's solution, and we believe from Scripture, it is the only valid solution that God could have come up with. God did not have 30 options and picked this one. This is the only solution that would work. 
and that is for Christ to come, as it says in 5, 6, 7, 8, that he came, he emptied himself of his deity as far as people could see, just a man walking around, and he died on a cross. And when Christ died on a cross, he took your sins. You say, but I wasn't born yet. That's okay. God is timeless. God is not bound by any time. He knew your sin today. He knew your sin today, and he took your sin today and put it on himself as if he was the sinner. And then he died carrying your sin and the, the, the metaphor is he went into the grave and when he came out, your sin was still in the grave. He left your sin in the grave. He died. You got forgiveness. You've got atonement for your sin. Your sin is no longer hanging around. And so when we are today talking about what Jesus Christ has done, we say he offers salvation through forgiveness of sins. And we talk it about an offer because Jesus Christ, in essence, died for everybody. If everybody in the whole world gets saved, Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover all that. But not everybody seems to be getting saved. I mean, there could be a massive worldwide revival this afternoon, but it doesn't seem like everybody's getting saved. Okay? And so we give it as an offer, and those who look at it say, okay, I've got this sin, here's this answer, they have an understanding, and they accept it. We say they make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. From God's point of view, that's kind of a silly way to say it. But from our point of view, we know that there's an offer out there, and we call it grace, we call it a gift. I have to accept the gift. Okay? Now, from God's point of view, He is your Lord. He is your Savior. Whether you believe in Him or not, whether you accept Him or not, and at the end of time, when people stand before Christ and say, I do not accept your gift, then even though he is their Lord, even though he is their Savior, he will send them to hell for rejecting what he did on the cross. And so that's what Christ did in verses 7 and verses 8. And then we get to 9 and it says, Therefore... So all this that Christ did, all that Paul understands that Christ did, we then get to verse 9 and it says, therefore. What does it all mean? What is the conclusion of Christ dying for your sins? And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus Christ. Okay, God the Father has exalted Jesus Christ. Now when we get to a statement like this, we have to say, how? We have to say, what does Scripture show us 
about God the Father exalting Jesus Christ. Now, exalting means to lift up, to put on a pedestal, to have parades about. When you, you see, uh, you know, a, a, a British wedding, okay? They have those every once in a while. Lots of pomp and circumstance. Lots of da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, and the priest gets up there and he's wearing all just, you know, he's glow in the dark because it's such a fantastic thing. That's exalting. They are exalting Prince Harry and the wife, or William and whoever got married, okay? Those, the, the kids got married, and it was all over TV. The, they exalted them. They lifted them up to say, hey, look at these kids. Aren't they the greatest thing ever? And they, you know, were or were not, it doesn't matter, they were exalted. The, the whole, all of Britain stops to point at them and say, those are a couple of great kids, okay? And that's what God is doing to Jesus. Jesus, God is stopping the universe and saying, look at him, isn't he great? Isn't Jesus Christ just the greatest? And how did God do that, okay? First thing he did is he raised him from the dead. And you say, well, that's part of the package. Actually, the resurrection is not part of the package. You were saved as soon as Jesus said, it is finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, and breathed his last, your salvation was secure. And God could be done. God could have left him in the tomb, and you would have still been saved. Now, there's all sorts of debate about that, but if you take the order of events of the crucifixion, when he said, it is finished, what is finished? His work, your salvation, the sa saving act to save humanity was finished. So why did God raise him from the dead? God raised Jesus from the dead to say, it worked. Good job. Fantastic. It is a one, you know, it's, it's perfect. It is everything that it was supposed to be. It was a seal of approval on the work of Christ. And you say, well, doesn't Jesus Christ have to be raised from the dead to save me? No, he doesn't, but he has to be raised from the dead so that you'll be resurrected. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, then at the end of time, we will have problems being resurrected. But he is the first of the system of resurrections that are going to happen. So at the end of time, when God calls everybody out of the tombs, everybody's going to raise from the dead. Okay? And they will be raised either to judgment or to glory, depending on how you believe, depending on if you accept what Jesus Christ has done. And so the first act of exalting Christ, of lifting him up, of saying, hey, look at him, was raising him from the dead. Okay? The second was the ascension. God could have let Jesus raise from the dead, walk around the earth, and die of old age. Okay? But he said, you're going to come up here and run the show you are going to be ascended into heaven bodily and alive. And so that is the second act of 
exalting. And for those who stood and watched Jesus go up, he was clearly exalted in their mind. But for us, he's exalted because of God bringing him up to heaven to run the show. And the second is, third is, Jesus is given all authority. Okay? It says that in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Okay? Now we'll look at that in a little bit. But for God to give all the authority to Jesus is an act of exalting. I don't know if you've read the book of Revelation, but wander through the book of Revelation someday. Just read it like a novel, okay? It's a very good book. There is one central character running the show. It is not God the Father. God the Father is over on a throne over there. Holy Spirit, we're not sure where the Holy Spirit is, okay? It says that the torches are the Holy Spirit. We don't know how that works. There's one person walking around, giving commands, opening seals, telling the angels what to do, and that's Jesus Christ. If there's anybody who has authority in heaven at the end of time, it's Jesus Christ. It's not you. It's not me. We got nothing. We're just along for the ride. Jesus Christ is the one running the show. No president, no dictator, no anybody. It is Jesus. And if you, you, you cannot read the book of Revelation without saying, wow. Jesus Christ is really in charge. He is in charge. He has been exalted. He is running the show. And fourthly, he has taken the position of our high priest, which means even now, for the last 2,000 years and up until the end of time, Jesus has one primary job, and that is to pray for you to God the Father. He intercedes for us. He stands between God and us. That's the job of a priest. And he has that job. And the book of Hebrews talks about it being of the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's kind of a metaphorical sort of thing uh, from the Old Testament. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's been given all authority. And he's now our high priest and that is how God the Father has exalted him. And if you look at that, you say, wow, God the Father must be impressed. Does God get impressed? I don't know. But he looked at the work of Jesus Christ and he said, I like it. I approve of it. And so everybody, look at Jesus because of the great thing he has done. And so God exalts him. What does that mean to the universe? It means that Jesus has been given a name above every other name. Now the name Jesus is not above every name. We've got uh, Jesus is the modern. We've got lots of baseball players and football players named Jesus because they are from Christian families and they name their kids Jesus, 
or Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Probably in Jesus' household, Hebrew speaking, his dad and mom called him Joshua. Okay, probably. You translate that into Greek and it's Jesus. But there's nothing magical about the name Jesus. There's something amazing about the man who has that name. And so when it says a name above all names, it means Jesus' name, the name attached to that person. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen with this name when it is finally uttered at the end of time is what we have to believe because none of this is happening right now. It says every knee will bow. I can go out those doors and I can look and I can see people without bowed knees. Okay? So it's not happening today. It is going to happen at the end of time. When God says, we're all done, all the opportunity to be saved is closed, the offer is being rescinded, and final judgment is coming. Okay? There, that will be a day in the future in which all of us will participate. And at that time, sometime during that judgment, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I know for a fact that there are people today who say, I simply do not believe in God. I simply do not believe in Jesus Christ. God does not care. At the end of time, that person will bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How will God do it? I have no idea. But if God wants to violate your free will, and make you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he can do it and he will do it. And if you look at this, there's going to be everybody. Now, I had a seminary professor who talked about this, and his statement was, you can voluntarily today confess that Jesus Christ is Lord that is available to you in our free will and free agency, we can do that. I can follow Jesus. I can confess. Confess means to agree and acknowledge. So if I confess my sins, for example, I am agreeing with God that I have sinned. I am acknowledging before God that I have sinned. That is what confession is. I am agreeing and acknowledging. And so when somebody confesses Jesus as Lord, they are agreeing and acknowledging that Jesus is big Lord and their Lord. Okay? Jesus is clearly in Scripture Lord of everybody, whether they believe it or not. But the saving aspect of that is if I acknowledge Him as my Lord, if I say I am putting myself under his authority. I am making him my Lord. Okay? Which is, from our point of view, not his. 
And when I confess that voluntarily, I'm saved. And so today I can confess voluntarily that Jesus Christ is Lord and secure my salvation. There will come a time in which those who refuse to say it today will be forced to say it then. And some people have said, well, when they see Jesus in his glorified state, of course they're going to bow down and worship. Okay? I'm not sure that's true for everybody. I've met some really mean people who hate God with every fiber of their being. They have been wronged by God, they believe. And so their goal in life is to wake up in the morning and hate God. And go through their day and go to bed at night hating God. They, if you were to interview them, would say, well, I'm never ever going to confess Jesus as Lord. I don't know if such hate, even when confronted with Jesus Christ, will repent and worship. But I do believe God is going to take his hand and make their mouth move and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He will push them down so that they will worship. God will force them against their will to worship him because he is worthy, because the name of Jesus is above every name. And so we can either do it voluntarily today and practice so that it's easy at the end of time, or we can fight God left and right, and he'll still make you do it at the end of time. Now, who is going to, who's this going to happen to? It says every knee, so every being that has a knee, and every being that has a tongue. It says above, it says in heaven. So when we think of heaven and just think of heaven offhand, we say, yes, angels are in heaven. Okay, that's who he's talking about. And that would fit that all the angels in heaven will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the belief is if they're in heaven, they're on God's side, that's an easy win. Okay? And that's fine. Uh, you can have all of the wonder of heaven. Uh, when Jesus was born, the heavenly host came, and they worshipped him and praised him, and he was just a baby in a manger. So there are already a group of spiritual, angelic beings, seraphim and all that kind of stuff, all the names that are used in the Bible, who are already pro-Jesus. They will continue to be pro-Jesus. But then you have on earth, and this is people, and this is you and me, and this is people all the way back to... Adam and Eve. Now, if you read through Galatians, you get people like Lemech, and you get people like Nimrod, and these nasty, nasty people who, you know, make poems about how they hurt people. And that, that's actually in the book of Genesis, is people making poems about how they hurt people. These people will, at the end of time, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bow their knee. Everybody who ever has lived, ever will live, or is living on this earth will make this confession. 
Then it says under the earth. And in our kind of thinking, who's that? Well, that's the demons. That's Satan. Satan lives under the earth. And so God is going to make him. And my guess is he's not going to voluntarily want to worship Jesus. But God's going to make him do it. Because Satan is a created being and therefore must give homage and worship to his creator, who is Jesus Christ. And then it says, all beings, past, present, and future, will confess. And so, uh, in, the, in the Septuagint, in the ancient languages, a good translation is actually the word things. And that leads us to believe that God's even going to make the animals. And he's, you know... The fish of the sea, the dolphins and the whales. Uh, God made Balaam's donkey talk. Okay? So God can, can make animals worship him. And I think at the end of time, the way it's going to look is all of creation, willingly or not, is going to stop and worship Jesus Christ for all that he has done. And the offer that is given to us today is, we can do it today. We can do it today for free. We can do it today in practice. So at the end of time, it'll be, yes, I'm going to join in. Yes, I'm going to join in worshiping Jesus because I've been doing it for so long. And who gets the glory? God gets the glory. God the Father gets the glory because all of this is His plan for salvation to get you saved, to get you into the family of Christ, to get you into heaven and the new heaven and the new earth and all that comes with salvation, it is all to the glory of God. And whatever we're doing for, for all of eternity, we will in fact recognize that this is God's plan and God deserves the glory. And we will be serving Jesus and praising God for all of eternity. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just thank you for this day. I just thank you that there will come a time in which everybody will voluntarily or not come to you and praise you. And I just pray that we will be people who learn how to praise Jesus and lift him up and exalt him in our lives. And Lord, I thank you for all of this ability that you've given to us. And I pray that you will bless our lunch to come and the meeting to come after. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.